Good evening. Thank you to my beautiful wife. I, uh, the last, those of you who are regular to our meetings will know that uh, the last few times Vicky's got up and spoken and she's had the microphone, she's took great pleasure in talking about my, me and my kind of uh, laughing at me, basically, laughing at my parenting skills or my husbanding skills and all that kind of stuff. I just think it's fair to bring a balance in here, okay? Because this week, this year, I am going for Father of the Year. Not only Father of the Year, I'm going for Husband of the Year. Husband, Father, hey, why not just go for Man of the Year? Come on, right? Let me, let me just give you a bit of an idea why I think I might deserve man of the year, okay? So my beautiful wife this week, as she's already mentioned, has been on a jolly down in London, okay? Most of you will know we've got five children, okay? So think about this for a moment. We have children ranging from a six-year-old to a nine-year-old to twin boys that are 14 to a 17-year-old daughter. We're not just on about one or two children, we're on about five children. I made my wife a faithful promise. I said to her, I said, darling, you can go away on your holiday, you can go and relax and have a great time. When you come back, the kids will have had a fantastic time. And she did, she came back to four healthy living children, which was really, <laughs> which was really, really good. Um, and there was a kind of moment when she got back. So think about this, right? I've been man of the year, right? She comes back last night. So I go, I pick her up from the airport, from the airport, from the train station, go to the platform she's on so I can collect her bags and everything. We get her back. She's going on about all these presents she's bought. It, but she's already mentioned that so far. So we're sat there in the living room and she's handing all these presents out. And then we get to this point where she, she happens to mention she's got herself something as well. And I'm sat there and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is great. Where's mine? Like, Where's my present? So then Vicky, my wife, Pastor Victoria Cross, says, she, she has this, you know, you can see this moment of realization going on when she realizes she's not got me anything and she suddenly pulls out of her bag a CD, a sealed CD. And she says, oh, look, Barry, I've got you a CD. I've got you a CD, forgetting I've been to these holidays that she goes on before where they hand out free CDs, free CDs that she just happened to whip out of a bag. Come on. Perhaps the, hey, I've got the mic this time. Perhaps the hardest thing about looking after five kids on your own, that's it, that's it, thank you, thank you, is the car, it's, it's the car journeys. Anyone got more than one child? Anyone got more? Then you'll know what I'm on about. It's, the, it's my turn in the front. No, it's my turn in the front. No, it's my turn. In the, come on. How hard is that, right? So I'm like, I'm, I've got it. I'm like, it's dead easy. I'm saying to Vicky, this is easy, all this who goes in the front. So I guess it goes to the girls and I says, dead easy. Who was in the front last? And I've got it. I'm all over this. Dead easy. Whoever was in last 
they're the next one in. Oh no, it's not as easy as that. Perhaps harder than the car journeys is when you get outwitted by a six-year-old. Anyone had that? A six-year-old outwit you? I've got a first-class honours degree, okay? And my six-year-old daughter outwits me over who should be in the front of the car. Because I'm saying, girls, this is not complicated. It's just who was in the car last. Oh no, no, it's not. Because yesterday there was only one journey, whereas the day before there was two. So what do you do? Today, I'm like, uh, and it's all about the seat in it. Look, these, these, these are the things. Anyone got any of these? Anyone had any of these? We have had dozens of these things over the years car seats, and who goes in the front, and who goes where, and all of that palaver, and all of that business. What happened yesterday? There was an interesting point, um, or, well, I think it was Thursday actually, and we've got it all going well until I think it was Thursday and there was only one journey home, okay? So I just said, well, it was whoever, whoever was in yesterday, last, the other one goes in the front. So the one who went in the back, I won't tell you who it was, she complains and says, well, dad, this isn't fair because there's only one journey today. So no one should go in the front because otherwise one person's had one journey and I'm like, this is burning my head out here. <laughs> this is just getting ridiculous. So she's going on and telling me how it should be the case that only one person should go in the front. Uh, sorry, no one should go in the front because there's only one journey and it won't be fair. So I'm thinking, here's a dad moment. Here's a teaching opportunity, whereas I can be a, a great dad and I can teach my girls to, to grow up and to learn some wisdom. And so I started to explain to my daughter that, listen, I said, the problem with that is, and let's be honest about it, this is something that we can all struggle with. I said, the problem with that thinking is when you say that, okay, if only one person can have it, then no one gets it. You know the thinking I'm on about? Only one person can have it? Then, nah, let's not let anyone have it at all. And that's easier because that's fair. I said, the problem with that is, darling, that everyone loses out. Because what happens on another day when only one person can go? It could have been you that time instead of the other one. And what happens on another day? I said, so what happens is eventually everyone loses out. And is this not a problem that we can all struggle with? We see someone else getting blessed. We see something happening to somebody else and we think to ourselves, but that's not fair. That's not right because they're not or they're not or I'm not or he's not or she's not. And so surely the best thing is that no one has it and then no one gets the blessing. But doesn't everyone lose that way? But isn't it great to know that God's word has a solution to this? God's word has got the answer to this, the answer to fairness. And I would put it this way, I'm not one for titles of sermons or titles of messages, but if I was going to give this one a title, it would be this, everyone wins. Everyone wins. Anyone like the idea of that? Everyone wins. And come on, here's the thing, right? If we're honest, we can all struggle with that idea of someone else getting blessed. Someone else, something great happening to them, and then us standing there and going, but that's not fair, that's not right, that, what about me, all of this kind of stuff. If you've got Bibles with you, turn to the book of Genesis. This is the easiest book to find because it is right at the very beginning of the Bible. And we're going to look at Genesis 21. I'm looking from verse 8. Now, a little bit of background 
to this, okay? This is all about a guy called Isaac. Everyone say Isaac. Yeah, this is all about Isaac. Isaac was a special child in the Bible. Now, if I'm honest about this Bible character, this is one of the few Bible characters that I actually struggle with. I don't like Isaac. I don't like the story of Isaac. I don't like him as a person because there's some things in it that I find difficult to get my head around, to understand, and to kind of figure out, and where's all that going? Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm a rational person, so I know my own weaknesses, and I know that sometimes you read stuff, and you don't like a particular person, but actually, I don't know the guy. The guy lived thousands of years ago. I never met him. I didn't know the reality of what went on and how it all happened. But there's something in me that when I read this story, or certainly in the past, I've read this story and I've struggled with it. Part of my struggle with Isaac is because of the way he, de he dealt with his children. I find it difficult the way he dealt with his children. He favored one over the other which I find to be a, a difficult thing. I grew up in a, in a household where I, that happened. There was favoritism in the household, and I wasn't the favorite. It's dead easy when you're the favorite, isn't it? It's like a lot easier then, but I wasn't, so I struggled with that. But Isaac is a difficult character to get your head around unless you understand what's going on and the message that God is getting out here. Because in one sense, this story about Isaac is not about Isaac. It's not about Isaac. It's about God. And it's about God's promises. And it's about how to inherit God's promises. And what God's promises really mean deep down. Genesis 21 verse 8 says this. It says, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned. Now, Scholars reckon that Isaac would have been about three to five years old when this happened, okay? And it goes on to say that Abraham pre prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. He put on a lavish party to celebrate Isaac being weaned. This is a different culture. It's a different generation. It's a different time. It's different history. It's not like we do it now, but this is what happened in those times. It goes on to say, but Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, saw Ishmael. Now, I know many of you will know who Ishmael is, but for those of you that don't, Ishmael is one of the other key characters in this story of what goes on next and what happens next. So, a little bit of background to Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham was given a promise. The promise that was given to Abraham was very simple. God said to him, I will make a nation out of you. Many of you will know what Abraham did was he was old. His wife was old. His wife wasn't only old, she was barren. She couldn't have children. So they tried and tried and tried, as you do, until they got to a point where they said, this ain't going to happen on its own. God said it's going to happen. We're doing everything we can here. It ain't happening. So they did, and again, this is a culture thing, they did what many people in that culture, in their position, would have done. Abraham took the slave. He took a, they had a slave girl and, called Hagar, and Hagar, Abraham, did what you do with a slave girl to go and get a baby. And they did that, and a baby was born. My wife's smirking on the front row. 
Probably didn't say that brilliantly. I probably should have planned how I was going to say that bit. But anyway, hey-ho, you get what I'm saying. And Ishmael was born. And that was all great until a problem arose. And that was that God went, hold on, you've gone and got Ishmael, but my plan was always to give you a wife through Sarah. A wife through the free girl, not the slave girl. Okay? Sarah was a free woman. Hagar was not. She was a slave girl. And we'll come to that in a minute and what the significance of that is and and what the meaning of that is. And so you've got a situation here where Abraham has got a son called Ishmael, born to a slave girl, and suddenly God provides a son, another son, through the free woman, the free girl, the free wife, who is the child of the promise, Isaac the child of promise. We're picking up the story here when Isaac's between three and five years old. Abraham's preparing a lavish feast for him to celebrate him being weaned. And what happens? Ishmael laughs at him. He laughs at him. He mocks him. Psychologists believe that one of the biggest fears that we all have. One of the reasons why public speaking, getting up and standing up in front of people. I've spoke with people and coached people who literally freeze at the idea of having to, to sit in front of one person, let alone a group of people. And psychologists reckon one of the major reasons for that is the fear of humiliation. It is massive. Don't underestimate the power of the fear of being humiliated in front of people, being laughed at. We've probably all got memories from school. It could have been something innocuous where you did something and it was just a genuine kind of mistake. Suddenly everyone laughs at you. People are pointing at you. It's horrible. You freeze. Suddenly you're scarred by it. And whatever caused that, you suddenly have a fear of ever doing that again. And the idea of being laughed at or pointed at or mocked at. Here we've got a situation where Ishmael, remember Ishmael would have been a lot older at this point. Isaac's having this big, big lavish party. And we can guess at why Ishmael would have done this. But he makes fun. He makes fun of Sarah's son. He makes fun of her, of Isaac. It goes on in verse 10 to say, so she, Sarah, turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of the slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. So it seems like this one event, this one situation was the cause of Ishmael and Hagar suddenly being banished from the kingdom. Sounds like something out of Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or something. They've been banished. They've been sent away. And, and, and here's the thing. Abraham struggled with this. Abraham found this really, really difficult. He was tormented by it because don't forget Ishmael is his son. Even though it's not Sarah's son, Ishmael is still his son. There's still the bond there. And he's struggling with it. He's finding it difficult says in verse 11, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham. Here's the thing. One of the things I want to pull out of this story, pull out of this event, pull out of this, this 
thing that God's trying to explain to us here, that Ishmael was always going to go. Ishmael could never stay. Hagar could never stay. It was always going to be that Ishmael had to go. And the reason is that in this situation, there was a promise on Isaac, a promise that God himself had given. This was a promise from God himself. Does anyone, some of you must realize what that means. A promise from God is irrevocable. God will not go back on his word. Once God promises something, no matter what, he will always fulfill it. Unless it's something that he's put a, a condition on, a, a conditional promise. We see some conditional promises in the Bible. But there's nothing really to suggest here that this was a conditional promise. This was just literally a promise, promise to Abraham. And so Ishmael, Hagar, they couldn't share in this promise. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't, well, maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't Abraham's fault. I don't really want to get into that. But it wasn't their fault but they could not share the promise. The promise was Isaac's. The promise was Isaac's before Ishmael had even been born. And the promise was only Isaac's. And Ishmael couldn't share it. And so when Abraham goes to God and he's saying, but, but God, I'm, I'm, this is my son. What do I do here? And God says, listen, listen to what God says. God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But, but, because God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have favorites. He said, I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. So, and this is a, a key verse because Abraham's response here to this, don't forget Abraham is in torment. Can you imagine, can you imagine sending your son away? How difficult must that be? I, I, we couldn't imagine it in this generation, could we? But listen, it's not that long ago that people have done it. Think about World War II. Think about when there was, the bombings were coming and people had to, had to send their children away. I can't get my head around that and what that must have been like. How it must have been to literally send your children away. To go and live with a family, never knowing if you're ever going to see them again. Not knowing if they're ever going to come back. Not knowing who you're sending them to. Not knowing if they're going to be safe. But knowing that you've got to do it. Knowing it's the right thing to do. And I know some of these concepts we, we can't get our head around. But actually they're not that alien. They're not even that long ago in our history for ourselves. But Abraham... In verse 14, it says this, it says, so Abraham got up, what, late next morning? No, no. He got up early the next morning. He knew what he had to do. And he knew that the only way to do it was to do it, was literally to get up early, get up first thing, and do the thing he had to do. I would even suggest if he'd have waited till later on in the day, I don't even know if it would have happened. I don't even know if he would have done it. I don't even know if he could have done it. But he knew he had to do it 
God had spoken to it. Say the word, Lord, and I will do it. Say the word, Lord. And Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with the son. Isaac had the, the, the kingdom, if you like, by promise. Ishmael, it was by right. It was by works, if you like. But with Isaac, it was a promise. It wasn't something he'd earned. He'd done nothing for it. In that generation, in that culture, the fact that Ishmael was the eldest, the fact that Ishmael was Abraham's eldest son, his firstborn son, there would have been no question whatsoever. I know we don't live in a patriarchal society anymore, but in that generation, there wouldn't have been a question over the fact that Ishmael was the one. He deserved it. It was his. It was his. You know, me and Vicky years ago, there was a, a, a situation in the church, and, and, and you could see it, and, and I'm talking openly here, and, and I know Tina will understand my heart. She knows everything that went on. And there was a situation where you would have to be stupid not to realize that there was coming a point in time, nobody knew when, but there was coming a point in time when someone else was going to take over the church. That's the, the way of life. That's the way of things. And at the time, I, I, I was an elder in the church, a leader in the church, if you like, and my brother-in-law was also a, an elder and a leader in the church. He'd be, he was older than me, and he'd been a leader for longer than me, quite significantly longer, in fact. I knew, I knew there was something in me. I knew that there was a call on my life. I knew it. I could feel it. I could sense it. And I, I, there was a point in time, and, 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 I, and I just, I, I reconciled it. I thought it through, and I, I thought about it, and I, and I realized, I realized that I had no right to take that position. It wasn't mine to take. This other leader, my brother-in-law, was older than me. He was, if you like, more senior than me, and, and everything said it was his to, to take that role on, even though there was a passion and a desire within me to do it. Anyone ever had a passion or a desire for something? You know what I'm on about then. And I had a, a, a moment. I got down on my knees at the side of my bed in, in my bedroom. It was in the house we were living in at the time. I got down on my knees and I literally, at the edge of the bed, and I kind of bowed my head and, I, and then I, I think I looked up and I just said, God, I understand that this is not mine. I understand that I don't have any right to take this. So all I ask of you, Lord, is this. What have you got for me? What have you got for me? And he answered. And he told me. He said to me, I, I would end up pastoring a church one day. So I, I, I worked that out in my head and, and imagined how that was going to happen. And I, I went privately and spoke to Tina about it and talked to her about it. And, and we spoke, spoke with Vicky. And I think they were really the only two people that kind of knew. But here's the thing. That my brother-in-law, it was his by right, but it wasn't his by promise. And this isn't me trying to make a point here. I'm not using the pulpit to try and make some kind of point. There's no point to be made. This is, this is years ago now. This is going back, I don't know, maybe eight years ago now, seven, eight years ago when this happened. 
And the thing is, it's it all kind of worked itself out. And, and, and there's no question that, that me and Vicky were, it was, it was God's choice and it was his will and that we would be doing this and we, this would be happening. But the point is, there are certain things in life and they're not about rights. They're not about whether it's your right. They're about promises. They're about promises. And I would probably say that, and Vicky knows this well, that when I was younger, and, and <laughs> Vicky joked about my singing at the beginning of the meeting. And I, 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 love, I love singing. I love worship. I love worship songs. I'm passionate about it. I, 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 I just give it my everything. I give it everything I've got. I, I, and, and those on the front who stand here, they probably know because they're, so, they're close enough to hear. But I make no apologies for that. <laughs> but I, I used to be passionate about worship. I was part of the worship team. And there came a point where there was, there was a, a, a thing that went on, a, a jealousy from me. I, I became jealous. I became jealous. There's no other way, way of putting it. And it was, it was wrong. It hurt, hurt me, hurt the other person. And I had to come to a point of realizing God taught me a lesson through it. And I believe that was the reason for that prayer. That I'd learned that lesson that it's not about rights. It's about promises. It's about what God has got. In fact, here's the word that's greater than promises, greater than, than anything to describe it. It's about grace. It's about grace. It is all about grace. You see, rights, demanding what is yours, demanding what you should have, doesn't work. And there's good reasons why it doesn't work. In fact, it's really quite logical why it doesn't work. In fact, let's, let's turn to, to something. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 21 says this. And God's referring to the story with Isaac. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law. In other words, you want to live, you, the, you who's demanding your rights, but that should be mine. That's my right. Paul's saying to you this, he's saying, tell me, you who are demanding your rights, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? Do you know? Really, do you know? Because some of you in here tonight, you've been demanding things. You've been frustrated, you've been annoyed, you've been angry, you've felt hurt, you, 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 you can't understand. If you're honest, you've probably been jealous as well. Because maybe someone else is getting something or maybe you're just not getting something. Maybe it's just not working out as you thought it should. And think about this, when you're demanding furnace. Ishmael was of the law. It was his right to have the inheritance of Abraham. But Isaac got it by grace. 
Isaac got it by grace. And if you're still struggling to understand it, think about this. Because Paul's talking about the law. And the thing about the law is this. If I remember rightly, I think it was six. If you, if you look in the Old Testament, I think there were 630 laws if you count them up in the Old Testament. When the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about the Ten Commandments. But it's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about all, gee, God didn't just give the Ten Commandments. He gave a whole load of detail. God went into tremendous detail about the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the don'ts of society and how things should be done and what should happen and what shouldn't happen and all of this stuff. God went into it in tremendous detail. But one of the key things about the law is this, right? Break one. 630 laws, I think it was. If not 630, it might even be 730. I think it's 630 laws in the Old Testament. Break one. You've broke them all. Break one. And you've broke them all. And the point that... that I was almost going to say I want to make here, but the point that God's making here, the point that God's bringing out here is this. When you're demanding your rights, you're demanding the law. You're not demanding grace, you're demanding the law. You say, no, this is my right. This is what I should have. This is how it should happen. You're saying, I want to live under law. I want to live under what's right and what's wrong. Paul said this. He says, Do you know what the law actually says? Do you understand the implication, the full weight of consequences of demanding that your life be lived by the law? Do you understand it? Do you get it? Think about it just for a moment. All the things that you've ever done wrong. All the sins. All the times you've wronged people. All the, all the times you've took something that wasn't yours to take. All the times that you've had promotion when really it should have been someone else's. Think about it. Do you still want to demand the law? Do you still want to demand your rights? Do you still want to demand that it's done properly and correctly? Because the simple fact of it is this, right? If we genuinely believe in a holy God, if we genuinely believe that God created all of this, the universe and everything in it, as a perfect holy God who created us perfect in the beginning. We weren't created with weakness. We were created perfect, but we were given a choice. And through that choice, I know you could say, well, it was Adam, it was Eve, it was, I like to think of it being Eve, but anyway... (laughs) We'd have all done the same thing. If I was Adam, Vicky was Eve, we'd have all done the same thing, wouldn't we? We'd have all took out our apple or fruit or whatever it was, whatever bit of fruit it was. And when you're demanding the law, you're also demanding the penalty of the law. Have you worked it out yet? Have you worked it out? Is it law that we want or is it grace? Or is it grace? What do we want? 
what do we want? What do you really want? You know, when Paul said that verse, tell me, you would want to live under the law. Do you know what the law actually says? He is pleading. He is pleading at this point. He's pleading for the sake of his people. He's saying, do you understand it? Do you get it? Think about it from a, a church context. Imagine if we went to, to the law. Have you seen what a church that runs under law looks like? Have you been in one? Cold. Dead. Stale. Hey, listen, we might get things wrong here, right? We might not be perfect, okay? We might get a lot wrong. But I tell you what, I'd rather be living under grace. I'd rather be living under grace than under the law. Give me grace every single day than the law. Come on. He goes on to say in verse 28. He says, and you, dear brothers and sisters. Listen to this. And you, Dear brothers and sisters, and you, and you, and you, dear brothers and sisters, you, you, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Not by right, you didn't earn it, it wasn't yours to have, you've been chosen, you've been called. It was undeserved. You are children of the promise. He says, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac. The child born by the power of the Spirit. But, don't you love the but? What do the scriptures say about that? They, stay, they say this, and he's referring to the story of Isaac. They say, get rid of the slave and her son. He's not talking about people here. Do you understand that? He's not talking about people here. The slave, the slave is the act. It's the action. What he's saying here, let me interpret this for you. What he's saying is, get rid of the action. Get rid of the works that you're doing that are under the law. Get rid of all the stuff that you're doing that you're doing to earn it by right. Oh, but it should be me. It should be me. And if, if I do this and if I do that and if I do the other, get rid of it. Get rid of all the actions that you're doing that are out of law, that are out of right, that are out of demanding. Get rid of them, but not only get rid of them, but get rid of the fruit of them, the sun. Get rid of the fruit, get rid of the actions, and get rid of the fruit. Get rid of the actions. Stop doing it. Stop living by the law. Stop living by, I must do this, I must do that. If I do this, then that'll happen. If I do that, then that'll happen. And listen, I'm not talking about lack of faith here. Listen, I, I was in kids' church teaching this morning. Any kids in? Any kids who were in, in kids' church? What was, the, what was the thing that we learned in kids' church? Faith is a bold action. Well done. Faith is a bold action. 
It's what we preached on last week. So I'm not saying there aren't actions, but true faith is an action that comes from above. It comes from God. He decides. It's believed. Faith is believed. It hears first. Even when it's all wrong, even when your eyes can't see, faith believes because it hears from God. And even when it can't see it, it can hear the voice of the Father. And then it does an action. And it's bold because you can't see. What does the Bible say? We walk by faith, not by sight. So I'm not saying we shouldn't do actions, but our actions need to be faith actions, not law actions. Grace actions, not works actions. Promise actions, not demand actions. And he ends with this. Go for it, mate. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. Galatians 5, verse 1. So, Christ has truly set us free. We are free. We are free. We're sons and daughters of the free. We're free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No longer slaves, we are free. Now, make sure, because there's always an action. There's always an action, but this is a faith action. This is a grace action. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. Take it away, Adam.